You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It is the 8 o'clock hour, our outdoor living hour. This is one of those times of the year where we get five Saturdays in a month. Gotta love those. And we've got Greg Peterson back. We had this incredible opportunity last week to do mesquite bean milling. So everyone that has our home maintenance calendar and follows along with our published topics tuned in to hear about rainwater and graywater harvesting, but we're treated to mesquite milling instead. So we've got you back this Saturday to catch up on what we missed last Last Saturday. Saturday. But I want to follow up to last Saturday. You guys got out to the Dale Creek Equestrian Center, Center. picked a bunch of mesquite beans dried them out and people are milling we we start we fired up the hammer mill so this hammer mill is this thing it sits on a trailer it's about 12 feet tall maybe and 12 feet long this is a huge piece of equipment and uh, we got it fired up and running this week we bought it used refurbished it and the people that harvested all those mesquite beans from last saturday and over the past month are bringing them down and greg we went beyond refurbishing yes we rebuilt the whole thing stainless steel everything it's yeah. it's it's uh, the sweetest trailer now and your guests that you brought with you this is Don Titmus. Sorry about that. Don Titmus is a longtime friend of mine. He's a permaculture teacher here in town. And we're talking rainwater and graywater harvesting here. And he probably has done more rainwater and graywater harvesting projects in this town than most people. So um, I just thought we'd bring in an extra ear because this is our third season doing this. Third, third year doing the rainwater, graywater harvesting segment in June. So I figured we'd bring in a new voice. Excellent. Yeah. And before we get into that, still, I'm going to know, how, how much did y'all grind up? Uh, how, how many pounds of mesquite flour was created at the urban farm? <laughs> at the Grow PHX. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Grow PHX. Sorry. Grow PHX, different company. Um, we did about 155 pounds of mesquite flour yesterday. And that was from people just bringing in a five-gallon bucket or two five-gallon buckets. And yeah. And that, let's awesome. see, so that, that would make over a 1,000 pancakes. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Waffles and biscuits and, oh, yum. Oh, yes, absolutely. So it's going great. We're over there from today at 4549 North 7th Street. That's 7th Street just south of Highland. So our- if somebody was listening last week and got inspired and went out and picked mesquite beans, they can still come get them milled up today? Yep, they need to be crispy dry, so they break in half, and they have to have been harvested off of the tree um, and you want to taste them to make sure they taste good but other than that come on down even if you don't have beans just come on down and check out what we're doing it's epic and that's growphx.com grow they can get the address and all the details there yeah great so we're talking rainwater harvesting today perfect timing ahead of the monsoons that yep. wasn't an accident how much can you expect to harvest off of a roof in Phoenix? Is there an equation for the runoff? Oh, there is. Absolutely. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> yes, it depends on your roof. It depends on your square footage. It depends on where you are in the valley. I mean, if you're in the shadow of South Mountain, as Sky Harbor is, and our technical rain count is like seven to eight inches per year but that's only for sky harbor airport not the rest of the valley i get much more four to six inches more rain at my house in east mesa than Mm -hmm. sky harbor so really it depends it depends well the cool thing is people often ask me uh, why should i even bother harvesting rainwater it doesn't rain very much here but 
we can on a thousand square feet. So there is a there is a uh, model for it on a thousand square feet. An inch of rain will give you 600 gallons of water. That's enough to water some pretty epic trees. Well, and <clears throat> let's let's just say there's four million homes, and if each of those homes, I got to count my zeros right here. It's kind of hard <laughs> on a computer screen and in real time, uh, times 600 gallons per inch. And let's say the state average is seven inches. Um, You're really going to do this math, aren't you? One, two, three. (laughs) It's going to take me a while to count these zeros, but we'll tell you the gallons that it would save off of having to pump out of the CAP or groundwater. Yeah, that's a lot of water. Exactly. And all those little things are just going to add up over time and and put less stress on our our water Water resources. Yeah. Well, that's just rainwater. Yeah. There's also gray water and storm water. You want to tell us what gray water is? So gray water is second use on tap water. So um, I'm not a fan of tap water. I've, I've put a CO3 unit on my whole house to take out the chlorine because I don't want that in my garden. I grow vegetables and food and everything else, and chlorine is really bad for that. So I take that out right away. And so that so anything that's left over from your normal household washing and cleaning and things like that that goes down the sinks in the bathroom, the the bathtub itself, the shower itself, but not the um, not the, not the dishwasher or the kitchen sink. Or Those toilet. two are considered bra- uh, black water. And so all the other gray water uh, could go out into the landscape and uh, be redirected straight to your trees, which will con- contribute to your shade of your house. And the black water gets used 14 more times if you're in Phoenix, Goodyear, <laughs> Mesa. It's all pumped to Palo Verde Nuclear Power Plant, and that's the water they use to generate the energy. Ah, well, so it's used, it, yeah. that black water still used. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's the purple pipe, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and gray water is legal everywhere in the state of Arizona. Uh, Arizona Department of Environmental Quality, about 15 years ago, thank you, Brad Lancaster, for pushing it through. And Art Ludwig. And Art Ludwig. Um, it's uh, anywhere in the state you can legally put in gray water systems in your house. Sometimes it takes a little work, but it, that's way doable. Um, go ahead. And then there's stormwater runoff, and stormwater runoff is an amazing thing. Basically, stormwater runoff is the water that runs by your house. In the curb. In the curb. Mm-hmm. And there are ways to harvest that off of the street into basins next to the street. So we could, we could literally grow all the street shade that we needed from the water that runs by the, by the, down the streets. Stormwater? So there's... Uh, that's like a second purpose rainwater. It is. <laughs> rainwater, exactly. stormwater. <laughs> exactly. And uh, rainwater, gray water, stormwater. And then there's one other place, and that's the condensation water. You know, the water that comes off of our um, evaporative coolers. Evaporative cooler. I have, a, I have a daily flush on my evaporative cooler. So yep. every morning I get fresh water in my house for, for my first flush. And uh, th- and then whatever's left over just goes back into the landscape. And, and then air conditioning condensation. And right. in July, August, and September, when it's so humid outside, you would be amazed, absolutely amazed at how much water comes off of our air conditioning. And that's units. distilled, so you could even bottle it up and use it in the house if you need to. Yep. Now, have y'all seen um, 
The Zero Mass, speaking of distilled water. Oh, water. I have, and I keep trying to get to them to see if I can get them on the podcast, number one. They are very hard to get a hold of. And Jennifer was out there for a tour of a school that they installed this in. And it is great. It's taken a – I've sent them – I can't tell you how many emails, how many phone calls. Mm-hmm. When Jennifer was on site, they're like, we are such big fans. We listen every week. I'm like – Hello. They're huge fans, and it takes us four months to still get a hold of them. Right. So let me let me just say what that is. It is solar panels that create electricity that have a water um, uh, distilling system built into it, and it makes a couple gallons of water a day yeah. that's distilled it, water right out of the air. Mm-hmm. It absorbs the moisture out of the air, condenses it, and puts it right into your – you know, you have, you've got your – kitchen sink and then a lot of people that have purified water in RO, they've got that separate tap. Mm-hmm. Pipe it sit right into a separate tap. Wow. How cool is that? So, there, you know, we do live in the desert. There are so many cool ways to uh, be conscious about water. So and that's there, re- there's one more source of water that we haven't talked about yet, and it's in your place and not my place. Oh, yeah, that's true. The flood water, flood irrigation. Oh. Um, do you have flood water out where you're at? No. No, Okay. Cool. Basically, it's a, uh, it's a water right that comes with the land that I purchased 30 years ago. I've been at the urban farm for 30 years. Isn't that amazing? And, uh, you know, 22 times a year, we get uh, six, inch, six, eight inches of water in the yard. So, And that is something that your uh, Salt River project? Yep. It's from SRP. Exactly. And they have districts around the... The city that have these flood irrigated properties that, yeah. I mean, you walk onto one and you're like, man. Well, and you can see in nice. the neighborhood. If you're driving through <laughs> neighborhoods here, you can see, you know, there's bigger trees, more lush. Which one of those cooler. are? Aren't... Yeah. So, And that's, do you have to pay extra for that? Um, the SRP um, runs me about $110 a year for water. And then, you know, there's a couple other. <laughs> yeah, it's inex- it's super inexpensive. <laughs> So when we're talking rainwater and graywater harvesting systems, there's, um, you know, there's some thought process that you have to put behind it. Uh, and that's the, um, that's the, uh, where the water's coming from, the collection, distribution, and plumbing. So this is actually how you set it up. Uh, and this is from Lart, Art Ludwig's book, Create an Oasis with Graywater. Um, and step number three is the tank filter and pump, then the landscape, and then the people place and design. And these are all the considerations that we have to take when we're putting a, uh, water harvesting system in place. Right. So, um, that's, that's one of my roles and I do consultations in regards to rainwater harvesting and, uh, the layout of a sustainable, uh, living, uh, lifestyle for each individual household. And so part of that is the assessment of the property and the assessment of the soil because the soil matters. And so if you've got clay soil, you know, it retains moisture better than than any kind of a sandy soil or a loamy soil is that piece in the in the middle. So I look at those, look at the different characteristics, look at the structures that are on the property and then begin to assess the uh, rainwater harvesting capabilities. All right, we're going to have more about rainwater harvesting. If you have a question or would like to join the conversation, oh, one yes. 888 
767-4348. That's one triple eight rosie for you uh, You can text questions to 411-923 or send an email to info at rosieonthehouse.com. We've got urban farmer Greg Peterson in with Don Titmus. Wonderful Alabama accent. How long have you been in Arizona? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Be, be nice now. No, I'm from London, England. But that was back in 81, so I've kind of mellowed a bit. <laughs> How long have you been in Arizona? Since 1981. So I did the math. Okay, here we go. 168 million gallons. Billion gallons. Billion. Me. I was going to say that's got to be a gallons. billion gallons of water. Which yeah. would fill Lake Havasu almost halfway. Really? No. You know this? Well, I did the math. I, oh. <laughs> I, I had well, to look up how many gallons are in Lake Havasu. Lake Havasu. <laughs> Leave it to I got you, a calculator man. over here. <laughs> so that's a significant amount. That is a significant amount of water. Yes, absolutely. And, and we, we have to stay conscious of it. And we've got a tale of two rainwater systems. Okay, well, before we get the tale of two rainwater systems, uh, I always like to design, look at the design process. And the design process uh, for a rainwater harvesting system, and this is why people can't uh, make a water harvesting system that they sell time after time after time, because every site is site-specific. Yes. We have to go in and look at a, at a site and look to see what's going to work in that space. So when you're designing your system, you have to think about the whole system. What's that look like? The whole system, um, when we go in, we do a site assessment and, a, and then a, a, a sector analysis. And in the sector analysis, we're looking at the things that are from the outside of the home site coming in, the air, the sun, the water. And so we're focusing on water today. And so we'll, we'll do the calculations. We can go to rainlog.org and we can look nearby us. There's be a school or a, or a facility somewhere that logs the rain throughout the year for many, many years. And you can find out what the rain, average rain, average rain fall for your particular area in, this, in the whole Metro Phoenix location. And you can find out what, what that's going to be. And then, and then we can do the rain calculations for that site specific because we know how much rain we're going to get per year. We, can, we know what the square footage is. We, we can find all those things easy enough. We do our calculations. And from that calculation, we can then... Uh, estimate what kind of containers, what kind of uh, strategy that we're going to employ to harvest the rain and redirect it out into the landscape in, in a designed way. We are the designers of the flow of the water and not the water itself. We're not going to, we're going to get water away from the house and we're going to put it into the landscape where it's needed. And the basic supply demand economics, if you do it now, it's going to be a lot cheaper than if water rations ever did hit the Colorado River system yeah. and we're all scrambling to find a solution. You want to talk about how that demand's going to drive that price? Way up. Yeah, no kidding. Definitely the price of water has to go up. Yeah. I, I, it's not going to when, it's going to be <laughs> how much. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. doing it now before the demand increase would just be a smart investment to your home. And then you're kind of insulated from that rationing system already because you've got all extent. these other systems yeah. in place. Well, and I'm a big, big, big proponent of, you know, we, we looked at all the different ways that water comes onto your property. Figure it out and pay attention to it. And a big piece of rainwater, all, all the water harvesting is that um, I like to say we plant the water. And I got this from Brad Lancaster. You plant the water, and then you plant the landscape around where you plant the water. 
really, really important. I like it. Yeah. So, um, and the next one of the next pieces on putting a system is keep it simple. And I've got my tale of two rainwater systems that I'm going to tell here in a minute. Um, but a typical residential rainwater system might save you five to ten dollars a month. And so you need to compare that with the cost of the whole system. And that's that's my tale of two systems. And remember, in 2004, we put that rainwater harvesting system at the urban farm. Yeah, we farm. did. We had a workshop with Dan Dorsey. Yep. And we put in a 750-gallon rainwater harvesting cistern. And it was $1,400, not including the labor, because the labor came with a... It was a class. It was a class, exactly. <laughs> uh, and um, when I did the return on investment on that... I suspect it'll take me somewhere plus 30 years to get my money back out of it because of how much money it's, it doesn't save me very much money. So that's not really a wise investment on my part. The other system, the two of my two systems is on the, that's on the North side of my property on the South side of my property collects the same amount of water cost me $80 to put it in. And what I did there is I took the water off of the roof. I run it down a pipe out into uh, one of the areas in my yard where I have an orchard planted and all the water goes there. So, so it had a solid transfer pipe, which redirects the water and then a perforated pipe, which distributes the water. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so, you know, one system was $1,400, one system was $80 and you know, and I just go dumpster diving and get the the old paint buckets out. I, I let put them in the sun to let them dry out. I peel out all the latex paint. And then I just strategically place all the buckets in a row, a bucket brigade, <laughs> right underneath the drip line of the house. So every one inch rain, I have a five-gallon bucket full of water that I just carry out to my landscape and dump on my trees to wash away the salts that the tap water is is accumulating. All my rainwater goes and washes out the salts from the tap water. Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's something that I admire about you guys. You're very resourceful. And uh, Thank you. The, the cost of, of the construction, it's not like you're going out and buying the highest in this and the highest in that and these massive infrastructures that just you know, drive the cost through the roof. Mm-hmm. You, you look for affordable ways to do that. Well, and that's, you know, that's part of the... That's part of the permaculture system is really observing and right. making sure that we know how to easily do something. Greatest return for the least energy. More with uh, urban farmer Greg Peterson and Don Titmus. I got that right. All right. Wonderful. Right after this. Some rain taps in my window. West wind soft as a sweet dream. Don't just let it tap the window. Repurpose that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Man, Gary, I love your music. Thank you for uh, brightening my day, man. It's one of those things you can't pre-plan. Right. You know, you, right. he's, he's graded in the moment, and, and you, can't, you can't do that uh, pre-plan. Yeah, exactly. So one of, the, one of my favorite quotes about rainwater and graywater harvesting systems is from Art Ludwig, who wrote the book, who wrote the book, Create an Oasis with Graywater. Uh, and I actually have the precursor to that book from the early 
The uh, branch drain one? Yeah. Yeah, I got that too. From the early 80s? Something the, the, the gray uh, paper back. Hey, that's the one, yeah. yeah. So his quote is, the one universally applicable principle for all gray water and rainwater systems, for that matter, is that there is no universally applicable <laughs> principle. <laughs> that's why we have to go in each site and you know, pay attention to what's going on and then design the system for that. That's what Don's so great at. Tell us about some of your projects that you've done. Well, I've Small. been, yeah, all over. Yeah, I've been in you know, many places. I uh, work out at Winkleman. There's a there's an eco uh, community out there mm -hmm. that I work out out there, and I've been working with them and harvesting the water out there. What about local here uh, in Phoenix? Local, well, yeah. local, I've done a number of uh, barrel barrel to gutter connections a lot of people just say oh i just want to collect some rainwater okay well how about a double double barrel 55 gallon drum system mm. and let's just connect that to your guttering or if they don't have guttering they need guttering because we need to first capture it then redirect it then store it if we want to or redirect into a basin which is also an earth tank yeah so one way or another we're going to capture it redirect it and then place it where it's needed the most and I've done a number of those smaller ones. I've done some bigger ones where they wanted, you know, a, a, 50, a, a cistern. So I've done some right. cistern installs. And uh, there's a lot of plastic water tanks coming out now that are really kind of, uh, they're really adaptable. Yeah. So you can you can work with those, uh, but they but they're they're limited still. They have a limited restriction on height. And that can be a problem sometimes in how much rainwater you can actually capture. Unless you put them in the ground. Unless you put them in the ground, but then when you put them in the ground, then you've got to pump, pump it, it out. out. So there's another piece of infrastructure that you would have to bring in, which is the pumping system. Yeah. And I'd rather keep my tanks elevated to use passive flow. So there's no energy involved. You turn on the tap. The water just flows out to wherever you need it. You move the end of the hose to, to each individual tree. It's your Sunday morning, you know, meditation with your water. <laughs> nice. And, you know, so there's, there's a number of those. And I've done a number of around, uh, around the state and some out, out of state as nice. well. Very cool. I'm I'm over here calculating because I have oh my gosh yes big plans <laughs> for uh, finishing out our corrals for our horses. Oh yes, and they are just south of our my little pecan orchard, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. I've got five pecan trees there, and just calculating how you know what this three thousand square foot uh, mayor barn would dump into that pecan orchard and offset what we have to pump out of the ground to put on it. Excellent. Nice. Excellent. Nice. And I, I am a huge, huge <clears throat> proponent in all of my systems to go as simple as possible. Uh, and for me, that means no tanks, no pumps. Uh, I Off of the roof of the urban farm, my favorite way to do it is just direct it and then plant, as I said earlier, plant your trees around where the water is planted. Now, <clears throat> managing overflow. Because you've got the urban farm, mm -hmm. the homes... 2,000 square feet. 2,000 square feet of mm -hmm. rooftop yep. on a third of an acre. Uh, in, a, in a big rain, I would think you've probably overflown a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, it comes down pretty good. And the, I've, seen the, I've seen my 750-gallon cistern fill up in about 10 minutes. Uh, but there, then we have the overflow on the cistern. We have the overflow set up so that it just goes out into the landscape and waters the. Oh yeah, you have to manage the water. Otherwise, the water will manage you. Yeah. 
So you've got to plan for those times where you have excessive runoff Absolutely. and where to, yes. where to drain that if you don't have place on your property to, to absorb it. Yeah, you can't have a breach on your container. If the, if the container's breached at the top, then it's going to go down the sides and undermine the foundation. So in, a, in, in any rainwater harvesting system, you have to have the overflow pre-designed to where it's going to go out into the landscape. That's and, a must. And a 700-gallon tank that fills up in 10 minutes, a one-inch PVC overflow pipe is not a big enough pipe. No. <laughs> I, well... <laughs> You're right. Actually, I think we put a what a two or a three inch in there. Well, you you generally have whatever the input is, the output has to be the same because then you have a free uh, flow through the whole system. Go. So if you got a three to four inch gutter downspout going in, then you have to have a three to four inch outlet going out for that extra water. And here's a here's a big key to rainwater harvesting systems: if you're storing water, they need to be covered. Otherwise, they will breed mosquitoes. <laughs> and algae. And algae. So no sun, no bugs, no leaves. Yeah. So then you've got good water. It's, you know, put it through a charcoal filter and you can drink it. Right. Rainwater is as pure as any other uh, available water in the valley. And a charcoal filter, you can get those passive that you just fill up the tank yep. and it drips down. Like Berkeley's a big... Yeah, uh, Berkey is great. I mean, you can get one of those. That No problem. So that's... Rainwater. Anything else on rainwater? That's enough for now. This is a good teaser. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, let's jump over to gray water. Right. Um, I am a I am a absolute staunch supporter of never store gray water because if you're storing gray water, what happens? Oh, it ferments. It stinks. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it'll go bad real fast. So. Uh, that's direct use. <laughs> that's direct <laughs> use. Exactly. Well, you know, and then at the urban farm, I have three different rainwater harvesting systems. Uh, I have three different gray water harvesting systems. And with the exception of the cistern, I've made them all passive, which basically means I the water goes out of the yard, it gets planted, and then we plant around the basins. So build it and forget it. I like that. I like that. And yeah. <laughs> I thought about that earlier too when you're talking about not doing a pump. You know, why? Because it's going to break. So then you got to buy a new one or repair yeah. it. Exactly. Well, okay. and, a, and, a, and a pump in a uh, gray water system? Ooh. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, uh, Arizona Department of Environmental Quality has 13 best practices. Uh, you can go to, I think I have them on my website. Um, uh, if not now, up. we will by yeah, the end of can, the day. You can yeah, definitely. <laughs> urban, there it is, urbanfarmwater.com. I've got some information, probably a webinar there for you to check out. Um, but we want to, I can't even remember where I was going with that. 13 best practices. Thirteen. Thank you. 13 best practices. Uh, one of the biggest ones is that you want to put any water, gray water, it, it needs to come in subsurface. You can't put it on the on the surface. Um, you want to get that underground because any microbes are going to get processed underground and you don't want to, you know, anything that's in that gray water, you don't want to have readily available. You're smiling, Don. Yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, get the gray water out. Get it away from the house. Get it into a uh, an area where it's going to be consumed uh, by trees and plants and animals and different bugs in the in the soil. And then, uh, but marry that, always marry the system with the rainwater, because then the rainwater will dilute the soaps and, and other things that in the water, and that leads you right into Oasis. Oasis biocompatible 
Soap. Soap. Yeah, it's a biocompatible soap. Uh, they have it for your laundry and for your kitchen sink and shower. Uh, so we have an outdoor shower at the Urban Farm that I do use, and I use the Oasis biocompatible soap. And the biocompatible means it's biodegradable into fertilizer. So it actually biodegrades into something that fertilizes your plants, which is magical. Another Art Ludwig uh, invention. Very cool. Yeah. This Art Ludwig guy sounds like he spent a lot of time on this. He did. He had he to He's the pioneer. Him. Yeah, he is the pioneer. He, he set the gray water standards for pretty much for the nation because the uh, city of Scottsdale adopted his uh, ideas and, and parameters. And then everyone else in the, in the nation went to the city of Scottsdale to get the, the stuff that they've already put together. And that, that's how it just flowed throughout the nation. Yeah, he, he's an innovator. Art Ludwig. Yeah, Art Ludwig. What, a, what a name, huh? Yeah. Is he still around? <laughs> he is. Uh, create an Oasis with Greywater. Okay. This is his book, yeah. And he's not just here. He does a lot in the third world countries. He's all over the place doing uh, tippy tabs and doing different um, water distribution systems, uh, going into the tropics and all over the place. Very he's a busy cool. man. Well, next time he passes through, we're going to have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, and get exactly. him. I think he'd be a lot of fun on exactly. that. Exactly. So, uh, never store gray water. We talked about that. Surface, uh, a subsurface for gray water only. Um, you, here's one. You never want to dead end a rainwater or gray water system underground in dirt. Because what happens is, is the system will get clogged with roots very quickly. Uh, you know, because where there is water, there's the roots are going to go. So when you're dead ending a uh, rainwater, gray water system underground, you want to dead end it in a tank, a uh, small tank in the ground. Like a shell or a container. Exactly. With no bottom in it. <clears throat> so that there's an airspace that the water cascades into the airspace and, and percolates down into the ground. Um, and then the roots can't grow up in the pipe. And this is like really necessary. They're technically called an infiltrator. And so they use them in the sewer um, tank system to sit the... For, they call for septic systems. For septic systems, yes, exactly. right. So the, 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 we bury a tank in the ground and put the pipes from the gray water from the bathroom or wherever it's going into the infiltrator. The infiltrator is sitting on top of pea gravel. So it's an infiltration system that is buried underground in the lawn and the, or the landscape is like directly above. You can't see it. Once it's built, you forget it and it's still working because there's airspace for the water to get out of the bathtub. Otherwise, the bathtub is going to be glugging for an hour <laughs> yeah. for the water to get out. So you have to have the receptacle outside the building, again, equivalent to the whatever's being drained inside. If it's a sink, that's a small receptor. If it's a bathtub, you need a big receptor. And because the airspace, you were saying it's for the roots, there'll be roots all around and underneath the pea gravel and everything, but it won't. But, the roots won't grow into the airspace, so they're never going to get into and the drain. The right, exactly. Right. Nature knows best. Nature <laughs> is our teacher. So if we're, if we're following the, the natural laws, uh, then we can design around that and work with it, and that's how we work best. And then never use gray water 
in a drip system. So people have asked me before, can I take the gray water and put, pump it into my drip system for my plants? That's not going to work because the sediments and that, unless you're filtering it, but then, you know, you're increasing the complexity of it there. Well, and a drip system has to operate under pressure. It does. So you're introducing a mechanical aspect now yep. that's just one more maintenance thing. Yeah. It's, you're, you're creating work for yourself. Keep you're it passive, man. creating solutions. Yeah. My $80 rainwater harvesting system at the urban farm that I installed 15 years ago, uh, it takes uh, 15 seconds twice a year to brush off the you know, the leaves off of the inlet. And I am so proud of that one because if this house is still standing in 50 years, it'll still be working. The way I've designed it, the way we as a community designed it, it'll still be working. It's just beautiful. Well, I love a rainy night. I love a rainy night. I love to hear the thunder. Watch the lightning when it lights up the sky. Oh, my goodness. You know it makes me feel good. And he's dancing, if, folks. I was going to say, if nothing else for Greg's dancing, we need to start live streaming. <laughs> so I remember when I first started working here with Jim Wheat's Landscape Center in Tempe, and uh, I could time my I could time my watch. I could correct my watch that every afternoon during the monsoon. You could guarantee the rain would come at four o'clock. Right at the time I'm trying to unload the tools off the landscape <laughs> truck, the rain is howling, the wind is going every, every which way. I mean, it was just incredible. And that, you know, I talked to my friend, and he said, Well, he says, in Tucson, it's two o'clock. Oh, interesting. And this is back in the early 80s. Wow. And then as the years have gone by and the heat island effect has gone up, we've gotten less and less rain and later and later and later in the day. And rainy nights is where we're at right now. We don't get the rain until 8, 9, 10, midnight, mm. 1 o'clock in the morning because of the heat island effect, which affects the rain that gets to our landscape. So do you get up and adjust your watch at 1 o'clock in the morning now? No, I don't. <laughs> no. Funny. So it's later in the day, and which actually, in, a, in <laughs> one way, you probably... Not that it's a big number, but you probably lose less to evaporation then, and you're collecting it at the night without this, the sun coming out and burning up behind it. I mean, oh, very small percentage, but every, yes. every, that's what we're talking here, very small percentages, because when you add it to a 6 million, 8 million populace, it, it adds up. Yeah. So one of, the th one of the things that I'm always cognizant of on uh, – Putting in any systems at my house is the return on investment. And I always like to review that a little bit. And ROI is uh, basically looking at what's your investment and how long is it going to take you to get your money back. And for my tank at the house, it's really system. The tank, the, really simple. The tank cost was $1,400 in 2004 or five. Um, I'm figuring it's saving me $50 a year. That gives me a 28-year payback on it. Not a great, you know, not a great place to go if you're just looking at it from the financial perspective. Just the financial, yeah. Right. If you're looking at it from the water perspective in the desert, that's, you know, that's a different part of the game. But I always like, whenever I do a system at the urban farm, I always like to do the return on investment. What's it, you know, what's that going to look like? And return on investment for me isn't even a factor. Uh, and because we have absolutely no plans to ever leave the property we're on. Ah. 
And so this is something that I'm looking at that uh, I'm going to put something in. That hence the five pecan trees. Whichever one of my you know <laughs> kids takes is over, uh-huh. you know they're going to have a completely done. It's pa- It's going to be passive, so nothing mechanical. Done and installed, and it's going to last. Like you said earlier, you know if if your house is still there in 50 years, it's still going to be operating. Whoever yeah. comes here and lives on this property after I'm gone right. is going to have the benefit of this infrastructure. And for me too, legacy for my daughter. Yeah, we just put a metal roof on. Now I got the rainwater harvesting, fireproof, windproof, uh, uh, Energy Star rated appliance that keeps my energy's uh, cost down inside my house because I put a metal roof on. And, and and the metal roof. So I have a shingle roof on the house. So I don't want to drink my water coming off of my roof. <laughs> I can. He can. And all that reduce reduction in energy. Uh, Benefit to energy redu- reduction no one ever talks about is the water savings because it yes. takes a massive amount of water to, to create electricity. Energy. Yep, exactly. So you're saving water when you're saving energy. And that's uh, the, isn't it the second highest city cost is the water pumping for the water treatment uh, facilities? I don't know that. Mm. Okay, I think that's I think it's high up I, there. I in could the, believe in it. The city's yeah. costs factor is I, the pumping. Uh, APS told us it cost him $10 billion to pump water or to to get the water from the reclamation plant at 91st Avenue. So wow. I, I can't imagine what could be more than that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I'm just glad I don't have to write those checks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I've Here, sign some, this, Romy. <laughs> I've, writ- I've written some five-figure checks before in my life, and they're fun to write, actually, when you have the money. I was saying, uh, they're, they're funner to cash. Oh, I haven't experienced that yet. Yeah, but there you go. Yeah, I cash. haven't. I haven't uh, <laughs> cast any of those yet. So, resources for for our listeners. Um, there's uh, a, a class that we give through Urban Farm at urbanfarmwater.com. There's we already mentioned Art Ludwig's book, Create an Oasis with Gray Water. Then there's Brad Lancaster's website, which is Rainwater. HarvestingRainwater.com, plus his books, which is, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name of his book. Rainwater Harvesting and Beyond. Yeah, Rainwater Harvesting and Beyond. For Uh, dry lands. Yeah, exactly. So there's lots of resources. Don, what's your website? Well, uh, I mainly can be contacted, uh, well, I can be contacted by email, but um, I also have a Facebook page for my urban farm. What is it? It's called the Bee Oasis, B W E. Oasis, and you can contact me through there if you're interested. And your urban farm is in Mesa, you said? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of near Gilbert and University in that area there. And uh, I've been there since uh, 91, but I've been working with my landscape uh, in permaculture sense since 2003 when I took my design course. Very cool. What brought you here to begin with? Uh, Cute blonde. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the easiest answer. <laughs> you Brits. Well, we're all suckers. <laughs> My parents dragged me well, here kicking and screaming when I was six. So, from where? California. Mm. You know, I just. <laughs> anyways, awesome, awesome. Thank you know. I just want to thank you guys. You have been so. We're going on our third year now, and you have been so open to this whole conversation around urban food and urban farming so thank you so much for the work you do and well thanks. giving us a voice thanks for being here every fourth saturday of the fourth month saturday of the month and occasionally the fifth <laughs> yeah exactly thank you thank you urban urbanfarm.org <laughs>